I'm super excited about today. Um, I want to welcome Dr. Um, Jim Tucker to the In My Fields podcast. He's an amazing child psychiatrist and Bonnie Lowry, professor of psychiatry and uh, neurobehavior sciences at the University of University of Virginia School of Medicine. Uh, his main research interests are documenting stories of children whom, who, cl uh, who claim to remember previous lives and natal and uh, prenatal memories. An amazing author, um, Life Before Life, um, which presents an overview of over four decades of reincarnational research. And I'm actually just reading your new book uh, before, which has just came out, and I was glued to it last night. I was, uh, it's incredible. Um, and before we start, you know, I, uh, we usually start with um, thoughts, feelings, emotions on the inside, um, positivity, negativity, conditionings, everything on the inside creates your outside exterior. So my question for you, um, doctor, is how are you feeling right now in this moment? I, I feel good. I'm, I'm excited to be here talking to you. Amazing. Amazing. So just so we can kind of dive in and give a kind of a backstory, what would your definition of reincarnation be? Well, reincarnation actually is a, a term that I, I tend not to use very much just because it has certain religious connotations is, again, these children who seem to have memories from a life from the past. And the implication is that this previous person, after they died, that there was a part of them, a consciousness that continued on and then um, showed up again in, in a new life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess, I, I guess reincarnation does have the kind of cultural beliefs behind it. H how did you come to this field of, of research? I mean, what, what, what interested you in, in, in studying this? Yeah. So th this research has been going on uh, at the university of Virginia for a long time, since the 1960s. And I was living in Charlottesville where UVA is. I had finished my uh, psychiatry training. I was in private practice. And I started, um, when I got married, I, I uh, my wife was open to reincarnation and psychics and so forth. I got intrigued by it. And I was reading a book by a man named Ian Stevenson, uh, who was at UVA and had been studying these cases uh, for a long time. And we saw in the local paper, he'd gotten a grant to do a new study on near-death experiences. So I called up to see if they needed any help. So it wasn't specifically reincarnation, actually, that intrigued me, although it is intriguing, but more just this serious-minded effort to look at, is there evidence of life after death, the evidence that the consciousness may survive after the, the brain and the body die? And... Um, that became very intriguing to me, and, and eventually um, I gave up my private practice and, and joined the university full-time, and, and now I've been studying these cases for 20 years. That's amazing. I mean, you, uh, I've actually started uh, re-educating myself on religion, because I'm, I'm not religious at all, but you know, I feel like they all individually touch up on, upon the same thing. And I, I, I was actually just recently reading solely the teachings of Jesus, so only literally what he spoke about. And I didn't realize, I thought that he, he would actually bring, in terms of what, what the texts say, that he would bring people back from the dead. And obviously that's not reincarnation per se, in terms of another life, but it kind of put me into a, a, a space of, you know, he was someone who had beliefs that he was the son of God from birth, 
So I don't think anyone's ever had that power or that notion or that understanding of who they are coming into this life. And it kind of brings me on to my next point of, in some of the cases that you study, do some of the children remember the, the time between the past life and this new life, that kind of space between? Uh, they do. About 20% of kids talk about the time between lives. And some of them, I, I, you get a variety of, of reports. Uh, some of them more or less describe a near-death experience of kind of floating above the body, uh, maybe um, interacting with other spirits or other entities. Um, but some of them talk about going to other realms like heaven, and, and the American kids may actually use the word heaven. Uh, and then some will talk about being guided to their next life or seeing their parent or observing their parents in some way. Um, so, I mean, even though the New Testament doesn't clearly talk about reincarnation, um, you know, this idea is kind of consistent with a lot of Christian um, teachings. And in fact, polls have shown that 20% of American Christians believe in reincarnation. Uh, so the, even though some people may find it foreign, I, I don't view it as being contradictory of Jesus's teachings necessarily, uh, but more just sort of an adjunct to them. Absolutely. Is there any kind of specific cases that kind of stand out for you out, out of all the cases that you've done? And, and what's the kind of process you do to kind of fact check these stories or everything else? I'm, I'm super intrigued by this subject. Yeah, so as far as fact-checking, I mean, what we try to do as much as possible is to determine exactly what the child has remembered, what the child has told people about the past life, and preferably how well those statements are documented before anyone tried to verify, was there somebody in the past whose life the child seems to be remembering? Uh, so we will interview the child and who may or may not talk to us and, and interview the parents to find out what the child's been saying. And then we go to sort of the other side of the case that the previous family, um, if someone's been identified and see how well the statements fit. Um, so as far as particular cases, um, there's one case that I studied was well, been a few years ago now, uh, a little boy from Oklahoma who uh, we got a letter from his mom when he was five. And for the last year, he had talked about a past life in Hollywood and how much he wanted to, I mean, he would beg and, and cry uh, about how much he wanted to go back to Hollywood. So to help him deal with that, his, his mom went and checked out a couple of books from the public library about Hollywood to see if it would kind of help him process all this. And they were looking through one one day when there was a picture from an old movie called Night After Night. And this little boy named Ryan he pointed to one of the men and said, hey, mama, that's George. We did a picture together and then picked, uh, pointed to another man and said, and mama, that's me. I found me. Well, the first man he pointed to was George Raft, who back in the day was quite a well-known actor. Uh, but the other one he pointed to that he said he had been was an extra with no lines in the movie. So Ryan's mom was writing to me to see if I could help figure out who this guy was. Uh, so I went to Oklahoma, I, I met Ryan and his parents, and then as we we're trying to figure this out, his mom was emailing me sometimes on a daily basis with all of these statements that Ryan was making. Um, so it means we've got all the documentation of, of what Ryan was saying. 
And to be perfectly honest, um, Ryan was describing quite a life, which I thought was unlikely for this extra with no lines in the movie. But eventually, with the help of a Hollywood archivist, uh, we did determine who this man was. The archivist, she went to the library of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, got all the materials about night after night, most of which was about the stars, including Mae West, actually. Um, but then there was one picture of this guy that identified him as being Marty Martin. And it turned out that Marty Martin did have quite a life. So Ryan said how he had danced on stage in New York and Marty Martin danced on Broadway. Uh, Ryan said he then went to Hollywood and worked in the movies, which Marty Martin did working mostly on dance in the movies. Um, Ryan said that he then worked at an agency where people changed their names and Marty Martin started a successful talent agency. Uh, Ryan talked about seeing the world from big boats and visiting Paris. We have a picture of Marty Martin and his wife uh, in Paris after they had gone to Europe on, on the Queen Mary. Uh, Ryan said that he had a big house with a swimming pool, which Marty Martin did. And Ryan said the street address had the word rock or mount in it. And Marty Martin was uh, living on North Roxbury. Uh, Ryan also said one time that he didn't see why God would let you get to be 61 and then make you come back again as a baby. And Marty Martin's death certificate said he was only 59 when he died. Uh, but I looked into it, found uh, a passenger list, three census records, and two marriage listings that all gave ages for Marty Martin that meant, in fact, he was 61 when he died. And then his family confirmed that. So even though the death certificate says 59, uh, Ryan was actually correct uh, by saying 61. And altogether, we were able to verify that over 50 of Ryan's statements match with Marty Martin's life. Wow. And I mean, I guess, I mean, being a five, six year old, I mean, there's an element of truth to that. I mean, because I, I, I study children in terms of I'm, I'm practically spiritual. So I understand that everything on the outside I create by myself, by the way I feel my thoughts and emotions. And, you know, hearing your studies and stuff is kind of confirmation for me that the universe is magic. There's a lot that we do not understand. And the more I know, the less I actually know about anything. Mm -hmm. um, which is a beautiful thing. And I studied, you know, my daughter and everything else. For example, um, she has a toy called Emma, who she's obsessed with. And for one morning, she was like, Emma, 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 Emma. She kept saying, I couldn't figure it out. We get to the park and the first child she meets is a girl called Emma. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that is an unrestricted, unresisted manifestation of what she wants to attract. So I can only imagine the honesty behind um, the kind of studies you do, and, and especially coming from children, there's only so much manipulation that people can do amongst children, but children lead with the heart. They live in the now. There is nothing untoward that, that, that they can bring to that. Um, and I saw that case, actually. It was on surviving death, which was stunning. I thought it was incredible. Um, he had no recollection of, of why he was reincarnated into that specific family and no relation to you know, his mom being part of that family or lineage or any of that type of stuff, right? Yeah, there's certainly no connection between the families, that's for sure. And I should have mentioned Marty Martin died in 1964. So it was uh, a long time ago. I mean, Ryan certainly didn't overhear anything about him. Uh, but you raise a good question. Why did he go to the family that he did in Oklahoma? And 
We don't have a clear answer in most of our cases for that. Uh, Ryan did say that he felt that he had been too greedy in his past life and that this one he, he was learning not to be greedy. Um, but, but of course, there are a lot of families where you could learn that how he ended up uh, where he did remains a mystery. Yeah, I, I know seeing but when I saw him on the show, he seemed like a super, super humble kid, um, kind of reserved and everything else, which is probably the opposite of what his life was as, as living in Hollywood and stuff. Um, and I read a ton of spiritual texts. You know, there's a, there's a book that I talk prominently on the show called Seth Speaks, which is, I don't know if you know Abraham Hicks, which is kind of- yeah, I, I know of the, the Seth books, but I have not read them. Yeah, that's amazing. And he literally speaks about the reason why we're here is to learn. You're, there is no preconditions for you to be born. I mean, you have pre, I guess, agreements with the people you're born with, but in terms of when you're here, it's you. So, you know, nothing, you can't come back and be like, I'm going to be a famous superstar before you're born. You're born into the situation to learn and then break out of that. Um, and seeing kind of all the vindication of your research and everything else just puts me in a, a, a super positive mindset. Is, is there a specific, I mean, on average, especially during your cases and your studies, is there a specific amount of time between kind of past life uh, or, or, you know, previous life and then to the rebirth of a new life? Is there a specific time frame or an average time frame? There is an average time frame, which is only four and a half years. Uh, so Ryan's case is an exception because it was 50 years. Um, but typically, um, it's very recent lives. And, and I think that doesn't necessarily mean that would be true for everybody if, if we all come back. Um, but to come back with intact memories, uh, typically it, it's a short interval. Yeah. And I guess we, we, we kind of, you know, time is a human construct. So I guess in non-physical form, we don't know what time is, um, especially from the, the near-death experience people I've had on and everything else. They, there is no relation to time at all. It's not even a thing that exists in, in to them mentally or physically or emotionally. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you just think about, I mean, if you're separate from this space-time reality, then well, what does time mean? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and there was a, um, when I watched on surviving death, there was that young kid who I guess as a baby was murdered and he, rem and you, you kind of presented some pictures to him, like an array of pictures of, you know, the, the, the correct one, the, you know, the one that's different and like a bunch of options. And I've never seen someone so certain of what you presented to them. Yeah. That's my mom. That's my dad. That's the park I used to play in. That's and super adamant that that was him. I mean, how do you feel when you when you when you come across those type of cases? Well, I feel impressed, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it's you know, a little five year old where you know, what I would do is show him pairs of pictures, one from the past life that had been identified and one a control picture. And not only was he five out of five, but like you say, the manner that he did it, he looked like a kid who was showing off, showing what he knew. Um, so it. it um, it, it was impressive. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's fun to have cases where, um, you kind of get surprised yourself. I mean, I've studied a lot of cases that we had another one where I did the same kind of thing. And the kid was six out of six, uh, with the picture pairs. And, and, you know, when something like that happens, uh, it certainly makes you stop and take notice. Absolutely. And that, cause I, cause I always try and analyze why this isn't kind of common knowledge or why this isn't kind of you know, taught in schools and everything else, because I feel somewhat we're not supposed to know. I mean, if if 
people knew um, there was like a Robert Redford film on Netflix where he could, he, you know, could film the afterlife for a split second. And then people started, you know, you know, committing suicide and all that type of stuff. Because when they, whenever they made this mistake, they were like, oh, well, I've got a million other lives I could come back for. So part of me is kind of like, maybe it's supposed to be this kind of mystery for us to kind of live as we are now in this kind of physical form. Um, and which brings me on to my actual next point of the, the, the kind of unusual birthmarks. So when someone would, would pass over or die from a wound or something super, you know, instantaneously, they'd kind of come back with a birthmark that resembles that injury or something. I'd love to dive in on some, some cases um, that you study that is kind of prominent to you. Yeah, those, most of those come from my mentor, who is Ian Stevenson. Um, and he, was, uh, he had quite a successful career in psychosomatic medicine before he got involved with any of this. So the psychosomatic, the link between mind and body. So he found these cases, hundreds of them, where the children not only had memories of the past life, but had, like you say, birthmarks or even full birth defects that match wounds, usually the fatal wounds on the body of the previous person. And um, he even listed 18 cases where the children were born with two birthmarks, ones that matched both the entrance wound and the exit wound on, on the body of a, a gunshot victim. Um, now, how you make sense of that, you know, is, is kind of challenging. I mean, the way we think of it is that it wasn't necessarily literally the wound on the previous person, but more of how that impacted their consciousness. So it's, you know, would be traumatic, obviously, to get murdered. And um, that that then sort of like with PTSD, where we have these memories that stick with us, even if we don't want to have them. When in this case, the um, images of, of those injuries would imprint the consciousness and they would then take those images with them to the developing fetus and therefore it would produce the, the birthmarks or birth defects. Um, and even as much as possible when he could, he would get autopsy reports or, or uh, interview all the people who had seen the previous body and, and confirm that in fact there was this match between the, the injuries and, and then the child's birthmarks. It's stunning. It's stunning. And I read somewhere um, about experimental birthmarks where, where families would, I don't know, not mark a body per se, but kind of predetermine where the mark would be so that when someone's born in their family, they could identify that person being of, of a deceased family member. Right. And they, in fact, they do mark the body, uh, usually with like soot or paste or something like that. Yeah. Um, Ian found a couple of dozen cases and then a colleague and I uh, we studied 18 of them in, in Asia. Uh, ours were mostly from Thailand. And um, yeah, the, the uh, I mean, I don't think it's literally the marking, but more they will typically sort of say a prayer, or make a wish that the individual take the mark with them mm -hmm. to their next life and, and show up as a birthmark. And, and sure enough, then a child is born with that birthmark. And, and, and in terms of like the, the, the children you have studied, I mean, do, do any of them like push to see the family of who they were before? And if so, like, w w what's the reaction? I mean, it must be, I, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like. Uh, yes, many of them do push for that. And the reactions can vary. Uh, with Ryan, eventually we had him meet with the daughter of Marty Martin 
Uh, the thing was that, that, you know, Marty Martin died in 1964. So the daughter who was eight years old when Marty Martin died was then very solidly middle-aged by the time they met. So it, Ryan seems sort of overwhelmed by the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but in cases where it's a much more recent life, sometimes the two families will develop a relationship and there'll be ongoing visits between the two of them. Um, but regardless, typically after the child meets the previous family and sees the previous place, the intensity actually tends to reduce. I mean, I think that experience, it does validate for the child that in fact what they're remembering is really accurate. But they also see that kind of life has gone on, that that life was in the past and that you know now they're a child with their current life. Uh, so usually the crying and begging and so forth will not always, but will usually kind of tail off and, and they'll, over time they'll eventually get fully invested in their current life. What, what, what's the kind of the, 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 the ages of when these start, uh, you know, whether it's visions or dreams start happening of previous lives and, and how long does it generally last for? Yeah, it's very young children typically. So the average age when a child starts talking about a past life is 35 months. So as you, there are two or three, basically when they get verbal and these children typically uh, are quite verbal at an early age, but it starts when they get verbal. And then by the time they get to be school age, most of the children stop talking about the past life and, and most of them forget. They actually lose those memories as far as we can tell. Um, but a fair number still have at least some memories, but they stop talking about it. And, and I mean, even in, in Thailand or wherever, where there's a belief in reincarnation, you know, no child wants to seem weird. And it's not something that commonly happens. So that, that there may be some social pressure to stop talking about it. Um, but it also seems that the memories fade. The, the, and, and kind of touching back on the, the kind of consciousness tip, um, you know, the kids who remember, where do you think in your studies that the, the information is stored? If it's not in our brains and bodies, which clearly isn't because it, it comes from one life to another, which shows me consciousness is not brain driven. Um, I guess everyone's searching for the same answer, but it's, you know, I, I always answer it is consciousness searching for consciousness. So it's kind of difficult to answer that question. Uh, yes, it is. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we can say, I mean, where may not even be quite the right question, but that, that consciousness is separate from the physical and separate from this physical reality. So it just, it exists. Um, again, elsewhere may not be quite the right way, but it exists in another kind of reality. And, um, you know, then it reappears in, in our cases, seemingly reappears in, in a new life. Yeah, I love that. Um, and and there, there are cases of people predicting their kind of next life before they die. I read that in, in your book too. Uh, yes, there are. We don't have a lot of those, but there are some. Um, sometimes sort of in a general sense, but others more specifically. And, and um, it seems to be in certain cultures where people would be more likely to kind of make predictions of where they want to come next. And then what's more common is actually dreams uh, often during the pregnancy, sometimes before the pregnancy, where the, it could be either parent, it's usually the mother, will have a dream of, of the previous person coming and saying, I want to be born to you, or I'm going to, announcing that I'm going to be born to you. And, and then that child subsequently has memories of the past life. 
That's amazing. I mean, you went, I have a um, 18, 17 month old. And during my wife's pregnancy, she would always dream about her grandma who had passed. And she couldn't figure out what it was. She couldn't remember specifically what the dream was, but mm. she remembers visitations from her grandma just, you know, being there. So we kind of think that maybe our daughter is her grandma who's passed over, who's come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it all fascinating. I'm like super intrigued by it all. Yeah, and we do see what we call same family cases. I mean, those are fairly common. Um, so it, um, you know, it's certainly possible. It's worth, I mean, the problem is, you don't want to start sort of reading into stuff too much or, or kind of accidentally encouraging the child to think they were the, the great grandmother, but certainly keeping your ears open uh, it makes a lot of sense. And I, th- I think that's the distinction between, you know, culturally, like, you know, the, the Indian, because my wife's Indian. So, but, but we're not really, she's not really practicing or it's not really the culture or reincarnation wasn't really a conversation until like, you know, we became aware of our spirituality and everything else. Um, and I guess I haven't really heard of research with US children because it's not prominent in terms of, you know, I could just imagine if I would have said something as a kid, my mom would have been like, oh, it's a dream. It's not real or any type of stuff. Whereas in cultures where reincarnation is prominent, they'd actually encourage their exploration of those memories. Are you finding that a lot? Like, like, do you find that you there's more cases in the kind of, you know, the Thailands, the where the, where the religion aspect is very much reincarnational, whereas the U.S. aspect isn't so much. Well, they're certainly easier to find in those places um, because you know families will talk about it, word will spread, um, and for Ian, he have an associate who was sort of looking for cases, but we don't actually know how common they are anywhere. And I think one thing we are appreciating uh, recently is that they're much more common here than anyone has known before. Um, you know, now with the internet, we don't have to find cases because they find us. And, and we hear from American parents all the time. We, we heard from over a hundred of them last year. Uh, so the, there are kids around us. There may be, you know, a kid down the street uh, who is talking about a past life. It's just that their family's not telling anyone. Are, are you finding with shows like Surviving Death and and everything else kind of bringing the, the the kind of the spiritual reincarnation aspect to the forefront that you're getting more and more cases sent to you? And how do you define which cases you take on and which ones you don't? Yeah, we do. Certainly when there's any sort of publicity, uh, we hear from more families. Uh, so, yeah, we, we have been hearing from more lately. And the key thing that we look at is could the ch- child's memories be verified? You know, the, some of the children will talk sometimes with great emotion about a past life, but if they don't recall the right details, usually either names or locations, then it's often impossible to verify uh, or to determine if they're actually remembering a past life. Uh, so what we really do is target the ones where we think uh, we may be able to verify it. Amazing. What about, say, someone who was um, in a because because there's cases of, you know, on surviving death of, you know, the young boy being the man or, you know, the young boy being the baby who was then murdered. What about someone who is, you know, in a previous life, a different gender? How does that conflict within the child? And I'd love to know more about that. Yeah. So 10 percent of the children talk about a past life as a member of the different sex. And in those kids, uh, many of them, in fact, 
85% of them show gender nonconformity. Um, so that will sometimes just to sort of define the term. So, you know, most young children show gender typical kind of behaviors or stereotypical, we might say, boys playing with trucks, girls with dolls. And of course, there's a lot of discussion about why that is, but it's certainly the case that, that most children show gender typical behaviors. Um, about 3% of boys and 5% of girls will show uh, gender nonconformity. And again, in our cases where the child's remembering a past life as, as a member of a different sex, 75% um, of those show gender nonconformity. So the, the suggestion is that um, some of that life as a member of, uh, of a different gender, that it has carried over uh, and has influenced the the young child's development, um, that will sometimes fade as the statements and the other parts of the case do, uh, but certainly not always. And, and there are cases that uh, into adulthood uh, where the, the um, individual is still uh, identifying uh, with the non-natal uh, sex. Absolutely. And, and, and the books I read, you know, you really only need, you know, to, to, to experience life as a baby, a man and a woman, you only need to be reincarnated twice. So, you know, as the man, the woman and the baby. So, I mean, you know, I, I, it's all super intriguing to me and I, I love the work that you do. I mean, I, I've had quite a few near-death experience people in, you know, um, Dr. Eben Alexander, who did the Proof of Heaven book, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and they kind of give you the process of what, and every, every single near-death experience is specific to themselves. That shows me, you know, how you live is also how you pass in terms of your thoughts, beliefs, and all that kind of continue into that aspects and it's tailor-made for you, which shows me we are all individuals kind of, you know, manifesting what, everything around us. Um, do any of the children kind of specifically remember the, the kind of non-physical form, that space between how they, they come into the fetus, how they, you know, the previous lives, the, the, the reincarnational process, is that, are they given an in, in instruction of, of what to do or how to do it? Well, it tends to be, I mean, the descriptions we get, you know, they're through the, the mind of a young child. So they tend to be fairly simplistic. Um, but some will talk about sort of waiting in line uh, to be born again. Um, some will talk about meeting guides or even meeting God. Um, it's not typically sort of deep philosophical kinds of things that they're describing. Uh, but more of actually fairly concrete uh, things that occur. Um, and some of them with a, more control over the process than others. Uh, but like you say, I, I do think if, if we do carry on after death, that it's, um, it is an individual kind of thing. It's not like there's one place in, or two places that we all go to, uh, but more of we each just as we each have, in a way, our own reality, our own experience in this lifetime, that there are also uh, individual differences after we die. It, I, I love that you use the term if. I, I, are you, uh, I mean, I guess you kind of, as a scientist and someone who studies this, you have to kind of remain quite neutral. Um, but I'd love to dive a little bit on your personal beliefs. Is this, is this kind of the more cases you come across, it's more vindication that it is real? Or is it still something that you're searching for de definitive proof in? Well, I think we can say that we have good evidence now that some children 
have memories of a life from the past. And um, that being said, I, so I approach every case with a, an open mind. I mean, the question is to determine how strong is the evidence in this individual case. And you know, I think you put them all together, it becomes quite persuasive, uh, at least to me. Um, but just because these children have memories of a past life, it doesn't necessarily mean that we all reincarnate. And, and I'm, I'm still sort of undecided about that. I mean, I think there's good evidence of continuation after death, but there may be all different kinds of existence that we can have. And it may be only that some of us come back to this reality, uh, but for others, it, it may be a completely different kind of, of continuation or a different kind of experience. Absolutely. I, I always um, have conversations with my wife about, would you come back? And I'm and me. I'm inclined to say no. I I, I want to explore other realms, other dimensions per se. Especially with the with the, the the NDEs I've had and the evidence, which is a super overwhelming. Um, and obviously more so now because you know we have resuscitation and more people are coming back from you know being flatlined and everything else, which is opening a whole new um, world of study and everything else. Um, I was, I actually watched recently the, the story of Einstein too. And, you know, obviously his quote is the distinction between past, present and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. So that shows me the past, the present and the future are all happening at the same time. It's just our perception of time is linear. So everything happens one after another. Um, do you think our part, I mean, in terms of, I guess you can look at this in so many different ways in terms of what Einstein was talking about, do you, do you think it's, it's this life in terms of our past, present and future, or do you think it's all our previous lives or incarnated lives are also happening at the same time and everything else? Well, again, I'm not sure that the same time is a hard question to answer. Yeah. I'm not sure it's quite the right conception either that, you know, the, um, if you're looking at existences in more than one kind of space-time reality, then they call it the same time. Yeah, it just, it gets mind-boggling basically. Does, yeah. um, and, and I think we can say that, you know, this realm of consciousness, that's probably not linear the, the way that we like to think about things that it's probably, more complex than can that our little brains are, are capable of understanding. How, how, how do um, per se the the kind of cultural differences of the cases in the U.S. I mean, I, I'd love to dive a little bit more on cases that have kind of astounded you. I know we talk, spoke about the Hollywood one. Are there any you know culture? Because I, I read one story in your book actually, which kept like I was up all night reading it. It was fantastic. <laughs> of you know the the police officer who went into a store the store was being robbed and he ended up being killed but the but the wounds that he had inflicted and and the message that he said to his daughter you know pre-death was i'll always take care of you and then five was, i think it was five years later uh, she had a child and she i guess she went to go spank the child and he was like i never spanked you when you were a child and she was like what the hell and then he started <laughs> elaborating on who he is and where he's come from and the same injuries he had when he was born kind of corresponded to the injuries that he had during death. I find it all like incredibly fascinating. I'm like, do you think science, do you think these reincarnation will be proved within a, without a reasonable doubt, or this will be like something that would be considered as fact? Well, I think, you know, the problem is that these really challenge the 
basic paradigm of physical materialism that that physical matter is all that there is. And, and I think until there's a kind of a new paradigm, a new understanding in physics, that there is more than just the material that consciousness, if we want to call it that, is sort of a, a separate entity and, and really at the core of reality. Um, I think until that happens, that mainstream science is not going to um, uh, not going to accept these cases. Now, you know, if we had 50 American cases as strong as Ryan's or some of the others, it'd be pretty hard to ignore, but I think people would continue to try to ignore them. Uh, but I think, you know, I'd like to say it's probably going to have to wait until my next lifetime, but I think it may well happen that eventually there will be this acceptance about consciousness being at the core of reality, uh, which would then, then suddenly people would look at this material and say, oh, of course, there's the evidence right there for it. Absolutely. Well, why do you think there is a, a massive disconnect between the kind of science and I don't say religion, religiousness? Um, what do you think that is? Do you think it's ego driven? you think it's just like definitive fact? I mean, there's untold evidence into like NDEs and, and the research you're doing clearly you know, it, it for me seems factual enough for it to be considered um, to be something as as something that does actually happen. Yeah, well, I think you know, modern science has had spectacular successes, and for the most part, modern science can ignore all this. And and it's just like to be honest, I mean, most fields of science they ignore quantum physics too, because you know, it's just sort of so mind-boggling. And um, so they choose to ignore this. Now, a lot of people compartmentalize. So there may be scientists who would completely dismiss this work, and yet they're going to church on Sunday. I mean, they, they may have their own sort of spiritual beliefs, but they choose not to try to incorporate those into scientific understandings. Um, so, you know, again, this is all mind-boggling to all of us. So uh, I understand why uh, people may choose not to deal with it. It's, I mean, the old me would fear this. Like I used to be scared of death. I used to, you know, that's it. Once we're gone, we're gone. And then I started, you know, kind of being my own social experiment of, you know, it's like when you get, when you think about someone who you haven't spoken to in many, many years, and then they call you or text you, you're like, oh, that's an unresisted thought that I put out that's come back to me or has triggered in someone else. We're all connected. Um, and, and, you know, on the kind of consciousness tip, it was, my, my wife and I kind of, I would think something and she would say it, not as me thinking it, but as her saying it per se. For example, I don't know, we, we have a ton of snacks in the house. And usually by the end of the week, those snacks are gone. And I was there sitting there, you know, thinking, wow, we have some snacks. And then she actually said, oh, we have a lot of snacks right now, don't we? And I was like, holy shit. And she does that. We do that all the time now, especially during lockdown and everything else. I mean, there's just so many things we can't explain. And I love that about the universe and it no longer scares me. I'm like, I bring it on. I welcome it. The more strange things come, the less I fear them. Yeah. And you know, those kinds of examples of what you might call telepathy. I mean, they, they sort of suggest that there is this connection in kind of the consciousness realm that we may not fully understand um, or can explain, but those are there. So like you say, someone you haven't thought about for years they pop in your mind and then, you know, the next day they call you or, you know, or whatever that there, there are these weird uh, connections that seem to go across 
great distances or, or whatever that, that somehow there's a connection that's not physical it's something kind of beyond that absolutely and 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 in terms of kind of how you were when you first started um researching this to now do you feel like you've opened up spiritually practically um are you more inclined to kind of because it's difficult for when because when i have scientists on the majority of them are kind of on the tipping point of of the the spirituality per se you know spirituality is such a broad spectrum um but i'd love to dive a little bit into your mind frame from then to now because for me that's that's evolution that's growth you know not us from newts but the evolution of us as humans yeah, I mean, I, I would say I classify myself as spiritual, but not religious, you know, which is kind of a, a growing uh, group of us. Um, and I have become more convinced that there is more than just the physical. I mean, I do think there's there's very good evidence uh, that whatever you want to call it, um, psychic abilities or consciousness or whatever, that there is this realm uh, that's there. And, uh, you know, it's probably good if we can get in touch with it more. Absolutely. And I, I want to dive in just a little bit on, on your new book, because I know it's, it's, it's two previous books in one with some extras. I'd love to, for you to just kind of give a, 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 an analogy of, of what that entails and everything else. Sure. Well, great. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. So, yeah, the, the two books that I've written before are Life Before Life, which is kind of an overview of the work. It includes cases from the 1960s into the 2000s. So it's, it's I like to say it's kind of a greatest hits collection. And then the second one, Return to Life, is more a focus on sort of a smaller number of cases. So like Ryan's that I told about, I devote a chapter to that and, and chapters to other cases. And then at the end of it, I, I try to pull in the physics a little bit. Um, for people who have read the book, there's kind of consensus that that chapter is either the best or worst in the book, um, but I gave it my best shot. And then with, with the new edition, I've also got a new introduction that includes a case of a child who remembered being in the Vietnam War. Um, so it's, you know, if, if you're looking for one place to kind of uh, learn about this work, it, it would be a nice place to start. Absolutely. And I'm diving into it now, and it's phenomenal. I'm like... Pfft mind blown at the, the and but it's also because you know you can read these type of scientific books and it can co go completely over your head yeah. so it's written in such a such a, a great way that you fully understand on a human level what's going on but you also understand what's going on on a scientific and spiritual level um i think it's it's amazing and anyone who's at the please read it i mean i i'm I, i'm like a reading machine now <laughs> so um i actually after your book i have the i think it's the ian is it stevenson uh-huh uh, book the, the reincarnational thing and that is mind-blowing too i mean that is a big book and that is and you open it up and it's like tables and charts and everything else and i'm i'm not quite there yet so i think i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna definitely gonna finish your book yeah i mean ian primarily wrote for a, kind of a scientific audience or an academic audience yeah. uh, with my books i very much wrote them for the general public um, partly because I felt like Ian's work and now mine, um, it's time to let people know about it. I mean, you know, we, we've got um, over 2,500 cases and, and, you know, we've been at it for decades and we continue to write papers, but also I, I, I would like for people to know about it. Absolutely. And, and, and what, what, what's next for you? Like what, what, what's the, the kind of step up? Is there a, something you're working on, say, is a step up from the, the research of you know, past lives? Is there experiments you're doing? 
I'm so intrigued by the kind of um, the, the science or the, the pushing for new sciences, especially in the fields of spiritual, spirituality. Yeah, so, well, one thing I'm doing, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, we're still studying cases and we're trying to get uh, more strong American cases, so we will continue to do that. Uh, we're also, we're finishing up a study where we are interviewing adults who we originally studied when they were children um, to kind of see how these people turn out. And we're, we're still doing the analysis, but um, people seem to turn out fine. And for some of them, um, it's been quite meaningful. I mean, even the, the adults who don't remember have any memories of the past life, and at least some of them don't even remember themselves that, that they ever talked about a past life, but it's just their family has told them that. And even just that knowledge has given them kind of a more of a spiritual outlook. Um, um, so we're looking at that. Uh, there, there are other, with every case, we, we code them on 200 variables and, and put them into the database. Uh, so we're always uh, exploring with the database the different features of the cases. Uh, I mentioned the gender nonconformity stuff. We, we published a paper on that recently. So we're, we're continuing to try to explore this phenomenon and learn as much as we can about it. It's beautiful. I love it. Is it, it, it just one more question. Is it, are there any adults who, you know, obviously children kind of have that, that no filter of adultness and the conditioning of just, you know, everything else. Are there any adults that one day turn around and go, oh, shit, I was this in a previous life? Have you ever come across those type of cases? Um, occasionally. And sometimes that like during meditation or certainly during hypnosis, people may develop what, you know, seem to be feel like memories of a past life. Um, the problem is, you know, as an adult, you've been exposed to an incredible amount of information and sometimes people forget where they even learned it. So the, there have been cases where under hypnosis, people recall the past life when they're hypnotized again. And that's where they learned it is from a book they had read you know, 20 years before and forgotten all about. Um, so we, we focus on the child cases, we have a lot more confidence in those, to be honest, than, than we do with the, the rare adult cases that we hear. Oh, so, so then the kind of, because my mom, I, when I told my mom that you were coming on, she was like, oh, I want to get past life regressed. Yeah. I guess that would be the same thing, right? Because you could be talking about a, an experience you've had that you've forgotten about that's kind of in your subconscious, rather than you talking about your actual previous life. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we're fairly skeptical of hypnotic regression. I mean, there have been a small number of cases where someone came up with a lot of information where it's very unlikely that they could have learned it through ordinary means. Uh, but most of the time, there's not much evidence uh, and frankly, not much reason to think that they are recalling an actual past life. Now, it may be therapeutic for people, uh, just like dream work or you know therapy or whatever can be therapeutic for people but it it doesn't mean that they're actually recalling the past life absolutely do, do, do you meditate doctor um i don't meditate on a regular basis <laughs> i've, I've I, ha I have meditated but unfortunately i i haven't always stuck with it i, I i've actually because you know I'm, I'm i'm reading this book too called atomic habits and, you know, we as a as a race are conditioned to to think negatively. So that has become a, a habit of ours. So I've kind of broken that habit now. So it's easier for me to think positive than, than negative. But I, I'm on this thing of like 60, 70 days is like the, the, the key time point to break the, the old mold. 
and into the new. And obviously we're creatures of habits. So once we get to like day 10, we're like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And it gets pushed away. But I found myself super calm and super peaceful from my meditation. And, and, and I'd, love, I'd love for, you know, especially scientists as well who, who dabble in meditation. I think it's phenomenal. I love it. I think it's something that, you know, kind of gives you an, an experience of you outside of yourself while still being fully in, in, immersed in yourself. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I mean, years ago, uh, I did a, a workshop, uh, John Kabat-Zinn's uh, workshop was mindfulness. And and after that, I did meditate regularly for, like you say, two or three months. And it did, you know, you get where you're much less bothered by things that don't really <laughs> matter. Yeah. Um, but it can be hard, or at least it's hard for me to, to stick with it on a consistent basis. Oh, uh, doctor, I want to thank you so much for everyone who's listening. Go get the book. It's phenomenal. Um, I think what you're doing is beautiful. I think anyone who's scientific, who's kind of explores the, you know, consciousness or anything outside of themselves is amazing. And I commend you. And I think you're incredible. Oh, well, thanks very much. It's, it's been fun talking to you. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you. And this has been great. Great. Thanks.